It's good to first be together. I hope that uh, your heart's open to the Word of God today as He treads. The Lord wants to encourage us uh, as we've been in this series, this wonderful series. I've been enjoying it so much. I hope you have enjoyed it as we continue to talk about the um, rediscovering and defending the resurrection of Jesus. And today I have some many scriptures we want to look at today. So I just kind of put some selected things up here. It's not, not one main text. But uh, when is truth really the truth? I want us to look at this today because I think sometimes it, this will help us to understand as we, as we talk to our relatives or as we talk to people who aren't Christians, trying to understand why they think the way they do. And I think this, I think the Lord will help us to see something today that has always been a problem in this world when it comes to the issue of truth. So, you know, uh, if you have a, I don't know, do you, do you have favorite words in your vocabulary? Do you have favorite words? You know, there's some people, you know, um, have you ever met somebody who all of a sudden they're using a new word that you've never heard of before and they just keep using it over and over and over and they just become, that's like their word. They kind of use that word uh, a lot. I'm kind of a weird person in this sense. Um, hey, now that's cool. There was no amens there. But uh, I'm weird in this sense that, and, and I think it might be because, I think it's normal for me because I'm a preacher. So I'm a wordsmith. I'm a wordsmith. I, I, I think a lot about words, but a word that has, um, you know, means a lot to me, uh, that's become significant to me over the last few years, is the word muddle. Muddle. I know it's not, a, it's not a necessarily a spiritual word, but it's not, a, it's not a word that I hear much these days, but it has come to my mind often as I observe what's happening in our culture these days. Would, would you say that word with me? Muddle. Yeah, muddled. Now, that, that, that should become your word too. You know, that, uh, that as we, I hope you understand how important uh, uh, understanding that word is today. I looked it up in the dictionary, and the word muddle means to mix up in a confused or bungling manner, to jumble, to cause to become mentally confused. I tell you, have you ever met anyone who, whose thinking is muddled? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I've experienced that a lot. And I know you have too when you talk to people. Muddle would be a good word to become familiar with, loved ones, because when a culture becomes increasingly muddled, it's actually a sign of God's judgment upon that, 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 that society. And we, and we don't want to be caught up in his judgment by being muddled along, our, I mean, along with them uh, in our thinking as to what is truth. T-R-U-T-H. Um, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1 here, he tells us, if you read that chapter, it's, uh, it's a chapter that describes uh, nations persisting in the practice of muddling, being muddled in their thinking, that's insisting on creating their own truth, which will always be at odds with God's truth. And the Bible calls any other truth besides God's truth. And again, the world calls their truth, truth. But God calls his truth, truth. And these two truths are always at odds with one another. God calls the world's truth, calls it error, darkness, or deception. And when the nations keep pulling away from God's hand, pulling and pulling and pulling and jerking and jerking to be free from God's grip due, due to their muddled minds, he finally hesitantly has to let them go. 
Let them have what they want, even though it means their destruction. Have you ever seen kids trying to get away from their parents? Have you, you know, I, I got to tell you, I can't remember this happening in my life. We, I never tried to pull away from my father, <laughs> never, or my mother. I just don't remember that happening. They, they you know, um, if, if I did do it, I only did it once. <laughs> and, um, you know, but, you know, kids, they try to get away from their parents because they, they think they know what they want. And so many times they're near someplace dangerous, might be a busy street or maybe a dangerous situation. And their parents, of course, are holding on to them, right? And keeping them out of danger. And a lot of times this is the way nations are, the way people are. They, they want to pull away from God's truth. They don't want, I don't want your truth. It's archaic. It's old-fashioned. I don't want that truth. And they want to jerk away from it. And they want to do their own thing. They want to do their own truth. They want to do what they, what they want to do. You know, Romans 1, uh, here, I got a scripture for you. Romans 1, listen to how Paul describes this. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile or really muddled and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And then Paul goes on to say here, he goes on to say that therefore God gave them over. God gave them over. He let go of their hands, so to speak. He let go. You know, you're pulling away. You're jerking away from me. And I'm holding on to you as tight as I can. But finally, he has to let them go uh, in the sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchange the truth of God, uh, the, 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 the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So, you know, my friends, the world doesn't think that it is wrong. This is where we have to understand something. The world, our culture, they don't think they're wrong. You know, the current political system, they don't think they're wrong. They think they're right. And that you're wrong. You know, we, in our minds, we think that we're right and they just want to rebel against God. No, they're thinking in their mind that they don't know anything about God, but they, but, but they know that your truth is not the truth they want. They have made up their own truth that they say is right. You know, the world, it sincerely believes God is wrong. I remember I had a young couple one time tell me, one time in premarital counseling, that cohabitation and premarital sex is right and that God is wrong. And they just came out and said it. They, they weren't hiding it. They, they told me. They said, God is wrong about these things. Being sinful. The way we have done it, Pastor. You know, we've got these children. And look how beautiful and wonderful they are. So this has been a good thing for us. In their minds, they were making up their own truth. And God's truth was wrong. <laughs> Society believes it's right and enlightened. And Jesus is archaic and oppressive and we think the world agrees with God's definition of truth and it simply doesn't want to obey and concede to what God says but actually the world cannot understand God's truth as being truth and it has been deceived by the devil and believes it has the truth the world has the truth now this is the great clash you see Satan rebelled against God because he wanted to make up his own truth the devil wanted to make up his own truth Jesus assured us that the devil was a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. Remember that? Jesus declared something. 
that was really a blatant statement and and you've read this many times but Jesus said this he said he said something he said I am the way and the truth the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me John 14 6 and there's the great rub right there that's the great rub all the devils all the devils in the world and the world itself they don't want to submit to what God says is truth. They don't want to believe that Jesus, or they, won't, they don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is the truth. When Jesus stood before Pilate in John 18, uh, you remember what he asked Jesus? He said this, he says, so, you are a king. And let me tell you, Pilate was a cruel, ruthless Matter of fact, uh, sometimes he was getting in trouble with Rome already because he would sometimes kill people. He would have them executed without a trial. He just would, he'd just have them executed. And sometimes uh, reports were getting back to, you know, to, to Rome of uh, what kind of justice system he was, he was uh, you know, uh, uh, enforcing. And uh, so sometimes he was a little bit of, he was, you know, he was, he was a little bit concerned about that. And so he was a little concerned here about uh, how am I going to take care of this situation with Jesus? You know, I, he, he would have just rather had him killed. Right, right out just you know right but he was trying to save him he was trying to spare his life and uh, so Pilate says so you are a king Jesus responded you say I am a king actually I was born Jesus said and I came into into the world is this to testify to the truth all who love the truth recognize what I say is true and Pilate in his bitterness and his cruel in his in his cruel heart, he says, What? What is truth? Pilate, he you know, he'd gone to school. He knew it, he uh, he knew, understood Roman culture, he understood all about the gods of Rome, you know, there's all kinds of gods. And so here Pilate is, he's asking Jesus, Yeah, what is truth? You know, he you know, he he was kind of saying in a cynical way, I I believe. Um Pilate was, again, he, he's, he's just thinking there's, his thinking was all muddled. Pilate's thinking was, was muddled and bitter. Our culture's thinking today is all muddled. People want to make up their own truth. And you say, well, then what determines what truth is? It's not a, really a what, loved ones. It's a who, who determines what truth is. And the only way, what the, what the Bible tells us, the one who makes up truth, the one who creates truth, is the one who is ultimately supreme. God is sovereign. He's the ruler over all things. He has a right to say what is true. He is the creator. He has made all things. He's the standard. Right? No one is above him. No one is even beside him. Everyone is below him because he's the creator. So he's the supreme power. He's the supreme authority. Um, there is no equal to him. He's the beginning and the ending of human history. He's the Lord of Lords, right? And he's the king of what? Kings. He's the king of kings. Psalm 135. Uh, five, five to six tells us this. It tells us that, that, that uh, I know that the Lord is great. That our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and in, in, in their depths. And then, of course, um, 
Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen. So the reason why that God, uh, you know, God's truth is supreme is because he has a right to say that because he is supreme. And we are not. We are not supreme. The world is not supreme. And so its truth is, that's why God can say its truth is a lie. It's deceived by the evil one, by the devil. You know, we just celebrated a glorious day of Thanksgiving in our nation last Thursday, but you know, I don't, you probably have heard this, but there's been a massive effort over the last 20 years to totally muddle the truth of God's actions throughout our national history in many ways, uh, particularly in the history of Christopher Columbus, as well as even the history of the pilgrims. And um, do, do you know that the far left thinkers and the liberals are calling for the abolishment of Thanksgiving? They've been doing this for a while, and it's, it is, it's gained a little steam but they're actually calling for the abolishment of Thanksgiving as a national holiday. Um, they they want to call it now. They said they want to call it this. If I can get it up here, they want to call it Truthsgiving. Truthsgiving. This was the most. Uh, this just happened this year. They had a little um, uh, invited people to some sort of potluck. This was in New York City uh, on Wednesday, last Wednesday, from six to nine as they discuss why, uh, basically, the pilgrims were oppressors of the Indians. And how that the, um, in 1621, that that feast, that, that Thanksgiving feast, was not a great celebration of our American heritage or friendship between the pilgrims and the Indians, but that actually the Indians were being oppressed. They were being oppressed by, uh, by the pilgrims. They were oppressive to the indigenous culture. Uh, Truthsgiving proposes that the spread of Christianity is oppressive and harmful to cultures. That Christianity has no right to try to change cultures. You know, it's true. Uh, if you know anything about American history, you know that we haven't done everything wonderful. We haven't done everything perfect. Uh, our government at times has done some very, uh, uh, you know, oppressive things to indigenous people, uh, cultures. Um, it's, it is true that has happened, but the pilgrims didn't. And uh, um, you know the the I you know I might add that since the Bible has been disregarded in American government, uh, you know since the 50s and 60s, actually our actions have worsened. Uh, they they've worsened toward people because liberty cannot survive without moral law and the truth of Christ. However. You know, the Indian cultures were not nearly as noble as what these people are saying. If you read any history about uh, what was going on before the pilgrims got here, you'll find out that those tribes, <laughs> they were fighting and killing each other. They were stealing from one another. They were raping and pillaging each other's tribes, you know. They were trying to take each other's land. And uh, Christianity was coming in here to try to stop this. The spread of Christianity was trying to actually win converts, win, win, win the, the Native Americans to, to Christ so that these kind of things would stop. That's what Christianity does. It doesn't oppress. It sets people free. 
And that's what the, that's what the, uh, the intention of the pilgrims was, was to be missionaries to the, the, um, to the Native Americans, that they might set them free from the oppressive actions, of the, well, the, oppression, the, the oppressive actions of their own sinful hearts and from their, you know, their false gods that, that they would worship. And I tell you, there was miracles that took place in the lives of the pilgrims that proved to the Indians that the god of the pilgrims was stronger than their gods. You know, we could talk about some of that and all the way from rain and windstorms to how God protected the pilgrims' crops and just Indians' crops that were destroyed by, by storms. There was all kinds of things that God used to show, uh, to work through the pilgrims to show the, the, the Indians that the God of the pilgrims was, was supreme, superior to their gods. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does in us when we surrender to Jesus Christ he he straightens out our crooked thinking and begins clearing up our muddled thoughts about what is really truth just like a blacksmith tries to straighten out a piece of steel the Holy Spirit does that he straightens out our thinking he keeps us from being he takes out he, he's working out the, those, those muddled tendencies by his, by his word I said earlier that Pilate's thinking was all muddled. I tell you, our, our culture's thinking today is all muddled as well. Pe- people want to make up, like I said, their own truth. So Pilate's question to Jesus still rings loud among us today. What is truth? What is truth? Now the official Christmas season has begun. And, and I know retailers began the season in October, but now we've, now we've celebrated Thanksgiving, so it's really begun now. It's time to nationally focus on Christmas as it pertains to Jesus. So let's just look at some things regarding as we begin the Christmas season. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically talk about celebrating Christmas, does it? And it, that tends, that gives some people the, you know, the ammunition. They say, you know, so we shouldn't really be celebrating Christmas at, at all. But, you know, um, it, even though the Bible doesn't specifically tell us to celebrate Christmas as we're commanded to, uh, um, we're commanded to do, you know, to focus on some things. For instance, we're, we're commanded to focus uh, on um, uh, our worship upon the crucifixion, right? And upon the resurrection, and upon baptism, of course, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That's when we, pray, we really worship, uh, focus our attention upon the Lord's death on the cross. And then just meeting every Sunday. You know, we may not always recognize this, but the reason why we meet on Sunday is because it is the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. Every Sunday, the reason why we come together on Sunday and not Saturday or Friday, I mean, it's not that it wouldn't be wrong. It wouldn't be wrong for us to do that. But the reason why the Christian church meets on Sunday is because Jesus came back to life. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so the church has always said, they've always come together on Sunday to worship on the Lord's Day. It was no longer called Sunday. It was called the Lord's Day among, among Christians. And so we, we see this emphasis that we, we focus, we, we have communion, and it focuses our attention upon the, the fact of Jesus' death. And then we worship the Lord also on Sunday, which focuses our attention upon His resurrection. And then also, even every time we have baptism, that emphasizes both. 
that when you go underneath the water, it emphasizes your death. The death, you're, you're, you're symbolizing Jesus. In his death, you're surrendered to God's will. You're dying to the world. And when you rise up out of the water, as the minister brings you up, you know, as he brings you up, that symbolizes being raised to new life with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that has transformed your heart and your life. Those are powerful symbols and powerful um, rituals and actions that we as Christians uh, focus on. And we begin to take them for granted after a while. We can't let that happen. We have to keep those things alive in our hearts, in our spirits. Because that's, um, that's what that the Bible very clearly calls us to, you know, to be focusing on, to, to, you know, to worship. But the actual word Christmas, yeah, we're not commanded to... Uh, to uh, worship or to celebrate a Christmas. In fact, when you look up the word Christmas, I think I have it up here for you, Christmas actually means Christ's Mass. That's, that's, where, that's what it actually means. And it first appeared in the year 1038 in, within the church. And um, that's when they first coined that word about 985 years ago. And uh, Christ, of course, is Greek for, um, means special, means anointed one. In Hebrew, of course, Messiah means the same thing, anointed one. And mass um, is, not a, is not a necessary word that we're familiar with because we're Protestants. We're less familiar with that. But it's Latin that means, it means dismissal or it means sending. That a mass means that you're sending out a congregation. And the Mass basically is a serious congregational focus upon understanding God's Word. When you come together for Christmas, you understand you're, you're focusing on God's Word. You're focusing on intercessory prayer for one another. And you're also you're, you're praising and thanking God for the sacrificial death of Jesus and for His resurrection, basically for our salvation. That's what Christmas actually celebrates. As a congregation worships together, we not only fellowship with Christ as we worship Him in His death and His resurrection, but also with, uh, with, uh, we fellowship with Him, we fellowship with one another because we each have similar faith. And then that we're sent out. As we leave this building, we're sent out with that knowledge, with that truth. We're carrying, the, we're carrying Christ in our life. And we're to be a light to the world. We're to be a, a, a word as well as indeed in our actions, we're showing people who we are surrendered to. We're showing people who we worship, who has made a difference in our life. In the early 300s, um, although the Bible again doesn't tell us exactly when Jesus was born, the church decided to choose the spring equinox, which was uh, March 25th, as the time when Gabriel announced to Mary that she would become pregnant with the Messiah by the Holy Spirit. And the church counted forward nine months, nine months later in the, in the, in the winter, uh, at the winter solstice, December 25th, they decided that's when we'll celebrate when Jesus was born. Oops, got a fly up here trying to distract me. Uh, the uh, um, so that's how the, that's how we came up with December 25th. Is that the church decided? Well, March 25th was when Gabriel talked to them. They don't know that, but they said we we want to focus upon Jesus being born, and and so that's why December 25th was was chosen. 
Just a side note here, this is interesting, that scholars and historians have pinpointed more accurately Jesus' death and resurrection. This is really fascinating due to the fact that we know when the Jewish Passover was when Jesus died. So we know, we don't know when he was born, but scholars are pretty certain now that Jesus died on April 3rd in the year 33 AD at 3 p.m. You can keep those threes all in, all in line there, huh? April 3rd, the year 33 AD at 3 p.m. Again, although we're not commanded to celebrate Christmas, we recognize that Christmas and the Annunciation, which is where you know, Gabriel talked to Mary, established a crucial doctrine for us, loved ones. And that's why Christmas is good for us to celebrate. Because it establishes a crucial doctrine for us that is a doctrine that is really an obstacle to a lot of skeptics. Yeah. Christmas celebrates the fact that God was putting on human flesh. It, we call it, you know what we call it, of course, we call it the incarnation. The incarnation. That's what Christmas is. We're celebrating the incarnation where God, in an, a miraculous way, came to a virgin and Mary, the only person ever in history and ever will be, who had a baby without a man's help. I mean, that's amazing. That is, that, and to a lot, a lot of people, that's just too big a step. I can't, I can't believe that, you know. I can't believe that. But that's what Christmas celebrates, is that God, the Holy Spirit, you know, came upon Mary and, and she conceived and the, God the Son put on human flesh, you know, as, as an embryo. <laughs> and that's why abortion is wrong. Hmm. Without Christmas, that special thing about Christmas is that God is with us. He, he's he put on flesh. That is amazing. That is so important. Because without that, you know what? There can be no Good Friday. There can be no Easter. What made Easter, what made Good Friday and Easter so special is that God Himself was the one who was on the cross. God Himself was the one who rose from the dead. Yeah, it wasn't just a normal man. It just wasn't a normal person with, who was, who was uh, you know, had, had flesh and blood. This was a unique person. This was a person who was 100% God and 100% human, and he was just special. <laughs> the anointed one. That's what makes Christmas a legitimate holiday to celebrate because it really is a foundation. It's the foundation to the doctrine of the incarnation and, and only that person Emmanuel um, could, was the result of a union of a divine God and a human woman and only, only Jesus could be the perfect and legitimate sacrifice for our salvation. Amen. Jesus came to reveal the, the true God in his fullness. Anyone who has seen me he said has seen the Father. The, the real Jesus died on a cross. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago. 
We talked about how there's these apocryphal books. There's these false gospels that, that um, we don't know what the church was up against. Well, loved ones, we're, we, we don't, because we don't know that church history, but we don't know what the church, the church was up against. They had all kinds of false teachers. Even when Jesus uh, was in his ministry, there was no less than 10 people proclaiming themselves to be Messiah. That's why it was so confusing for people. And you know, that was one reason, is that, my goodness, uh, another Messiah. <laughs> it was no, no less than 10 because they were trying to rebel against Rome, you know. They wanted to get out beneath Romans, Rome's thumb. So here Jesus is competing with all these other messiahs, you know, and uh, um, proving himself to be the messiah, you know, through his death and resurrection there. And, uh, and the church had a hard time because there was all these heretics, there was these false teachers who were trying to deny Jesus as the messiah. We're trying to deny that, you know, he really, he didn't really rise from the dead. And uh, so we have all these books. They're called the intertestament books. They're called, they were written after the four gospels that we have, Mark, uh, uh, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. And um, anyone, uh, Jesus said, who has seen me has seen the Father. The, the real Jesus died on a cross for sinners and made complete forgiveness from God possible. The Jesus, listen to me, the Jesus of the apocryphal books did not die on the cross. That's why the church fathers ex- excluded them from, from our Bible. As they read through these Gospels, the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Peter, some of these other, the the Gospel of Enoch, you know, uh, uh, I should say the Book of Enoch, all these other Gospels, all the other books, they looked at, they they read them and looked for contradictions and looked for actually things that that, uh, uh, denied Jesus as being the Messiah. And that's what they were up against is all this false doctrine. And so they, you know, this book is very special for us. This has been tested and proven over history to be the authentic word of the Lord. Amen. In these books, these apocryphal books, there is no mention of the forgiveness of our sins. Um, one of such books is, is this one here called uh, the, um, the Gospel of Basilides. And uh, it was written in the third century. It actually suggests that Jesus fooled everybody and traded places with Simon of Cyrene, that Jesus supposedly in this gospel slipped away through the crowd, and everyone thought Simon was Jesus. And Simon, he had actually just showed up for the Passover, and he was shocked that he was forced to carry Jesus' cross, and Jesus sneaked away laughing. That's what the gospel of Basilides says. A similar story is actually repeated right now. That similar story, that, that particular story is repeated in the Quran. And that's why today Muslims do not believe that Jesus was put to death by the Jews. Because that story got into the Quran. But the evidence is clear that Jesus died a real death. He was raised in a real resurrection on the third day, confirming all he taught proving that God approved of his life and his death. And I tell you, this is an authentic Jesus who followed all the rules of history. (laughs) He was the only Messiah that survived 
the only one that, should, that his teaching survived. All those other messiahs, they, they, they came and they, and they died. They were, they were killed. But, uh, but Jesus is the one that changed the world. <laughs> the message, the gospel of Jesus changed the world. The word gospel itself, loved ones, was, was a very popular word back in those days. There was the gospel of Tiberius. There was, it was just simply meant good news that your emperor has good news for you. Uh, here, here's the gospel of Tiberius, the emperor. And so when the church would say things like, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can see how that was a real rub against the Romans because the Tiberius and those emperors thought they were God. And now the, Rome, the Christians were proclaiming another gospel, a good news of Jesus Christ. And you see why they were, they were persecuted the way they were by, by the Romans because they were, they were proclaiming another truth that was contrary to the truth of Rome. <laughs> this is the authentic Jesus, though, who followed the rules of history and did not secretly hide his ministry in a corner, but he proclaimed himself and his truth publicly. You know, remember what he said in John, I think I got it down here, John 18. He said, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. So why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. <laughs> when Jesus said that to, <laughs> to the high priest, he got slapped for it. But uh, um, Jesus never commanded us to do things in secret. That's why we're against, you know, uh, you know, the lodges and free, you know, Freemasonry. That Jesus never had any secret handshakes, you know, none of this kind of thing. Any, any secret symbols. That Jesus, his teaching was public. He didn't say any secret things. The only thing he, the only time he commanded us to be secret. Remember when it, when it was in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I. Do your praying in secret. Do your giving in secret. Do your fasting in secret. But all the teachings, all the truth, all the doctrine of Jesus, all, the, all of his truth is on public display. He never hid it. Amen. Well, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is why we can stand firmly upon God's word that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because of that, it authenticated everything that Jesus Christ did in his ministry and on the cross. Amen. So, <laughs> truth. Which truth are you going to believe? That's the question. Next time you're in a debate with somebody, realize that it's not so much that, uh, you know, that uh, it's, it's not so much that they think that they're against God. They just think they have a superior truth. <laughs> the point is, they are against God. And they don't know it. Because he is the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we want to thank you so very much for making things plain to us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, all of us here at one time in our life did not believe the truth. We did not believe the truth of your word. We didn't believe the truth according to what you say. We, we denied it. We didn't want to follow it. We didn't want to acknowledge it. We wanted to do things our own way. We wanted to follow our own truth. 
We thank you for persistently uh, goading us and uh, uh, pricking our conscience, O oh God, and convicting us of our sin and convincing us that, that your truth is superior and that it'll be the ultimate truth that we will give an account for in our lives on that great day. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus we have all the truth we need, that in him he is the, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that by having him we have everything. We have everything, God, that you have promised. So we thank you, O God, for this Thanksgiving season, this Christmas season, when we can once again celebrate the greatest gift that you've given us in your Son, that you came yourself to provide us with salvation. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a beautiful afternoon today.